Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. Right now, Steve is exploring the important prophecy term, the Son of God. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we are picking up in point number one of our current teaching series, and that is entitled Important Prophecy Terms. And we are looking at seven sets of terms that uh, we need to have a clear understanding of from the biblical perspective before we launch into our overview of the prophetic events that are going to happen from today through eternity. And that is uh, detailed, if you will, in Revelation 22, the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. So I have um, scriptures that I put together on 30 prophetic events. And I think from my study of the Bible, they are the 30 key events that are going to take place, and I have put them in the chronological order that comes from my best understanding of study of the Scriptures over a number of years. And I'm not saying that that is the, exactly the way it's going to fall out uh, sequentially or, or chronologically, but that's the, uh, the best that I can, ha- that I can uh, provide. Having said that, I'd like to ask you, as we go through our current series here on important prophecy terms, and as we go through any series here at Exploring Bible Prophecy, if you have questions about what uh, I'm saying, about the scriptures that I'm sharing, about my understanding of what those scriptures mean, if you have a different perspective, there's a good chance that there's other people listening that also may have a question like yours. And I would, uh, I would ask you to let me know that. And what I'd really like to do is to share it on the radio. So let me know when you do contact me whether or not I can share this on the radio and if I can even use your name. And it can just be a first name if you like, like I do with my uh, questions from listeners. I just use their, their first names. Um, and I think that would be important because it would add a, a sense of um, personal I- involvement here from the listening audience uh, if other people hear from you and have the same sorts of questions, and it might provoke them to get involved as well, and then we could have a very rich discussion here, not only with our teaching series, but even more so with the um, question and answers that we deal with at the end of um, each of our, our programs here at Exploring Bible Prophecy. So I would ask you to do that, and you can contact me uh, on email at steve at whcbradio.org. It's S-T-E-V-E at uh, whcbradio.org. All right, so we are in point number one on our handout. You can get this handout at the radio station website. That's whcbradio.org, and look for Exploring Bible Prophecy. And if you click on that, it'll bring you to our page, and there you can see the teaching series that we're currently dealing with, and you'll have uh, that particular portion of the worksheet available for you. 
And that will uh, go a long way to help you follow us because when you see the worksheet, you'll see we have a lot of scriptures that we use to, um, to make, to establish, to verify, to authenticate uh, each of these points from God's word, uh, not from man's word, but from God's word. And we are in point number one, looking at the Son of God, and I have the word the there in front of Son of God because for the last couple of programs, we've been going through some scriptures both in the Old Testament and New Testament, to show that there are groups of people, individuals and groups of people who are called sons of God. So we need to make that clear distinction when we talk about the Son of God, that indeed we are talking about Jesus Christ. And we went to a Luke uh, verses 23 to 38 to show that genealogy from Jesus all the way back to Adam, to show that there Jesus is referred to as the son of a man, Joseph, but Adam is referred to as the son, of, the son of God. And the point is, Adam is referred to as the Son of God because he is the direct creation of God. There was no one intervening there to make him a son of God. He was made in perfection by God directly. Then we went to Job chapter 1 and other places in Job, but specifically went to Job 1 verse 6 to show that the angels are referred to as sons of God. And again, we learn from the scriptures that the angels are direct creations of God. We know that Satan, in the description of him, God says, on the day that I created you. So Satan and the angels, Satan being an angel as well, are created beings, but they are directly created by God. So therefore, they're called sons of God. And by the way, the angels do not procreate. So they are a set number of angels that God created uh, right at the beginning. We're not told specifically, but they were singing, uh, it tells us, in Job during creation week. And then we went to Romans chapter 8, verse 14, to show that those who are indwelt by the Spirit of God, in other words, the church, which began in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, and the, the distinctive difference between the church and anyone else in the world is the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit in us forever, for eternity, we're told in, in John 14. And therefore, we're called sons of God. And you say, well, wait a minute, we're indwelt by the Spirit, that makes us a son of God. Well, we went to 2 Corinthians, 5, uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, to show that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell within you, you are a new creation. You, and there's no one else can do this, God has created you as a new person because he has given you his Holy Spirit. Therefore, if you combine Romans 8.14 with 2 Corinthians 5.17, you see that you as a believer in Jesus Christ, are a son or daughter of the living God. You are a son or daughter of the living God, just like the angels are, just like Adam was. And then we, uh, at the end of our program last uh, time, we went to the Old Testament book of Hosea. And if you can locate the Old Testament um, minor prophets, uh, they begin with Hosea, and of course they end at the end of the Old Testament with Malachi. But if you can find Jeremiah and then Lamentations and Ezekiel and Daniel, just to the right of Daniel, at the end of Daniel, you'll find the book of Hosea. And we went to Hosea chapter 1, 
and we looked at verses 10 and 11, Hosea chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. And this is, Hosea is a prophet that lived or, or prophesied approximately 750 years before Jesus. So 750 BC or 2750 years ago from today. And he's prophesying about things that have yet to take place. They are yet future to us. And it's all about Israel. And in chapter 1 of Hosea, starting at verse 10, he's talking here about the future of Israel. And it says, Yet the number of the sons of Israel, verse 10, will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, You are not my people, it will be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. So the Israelites living in Israel turned their backs on Jesus And then Jesus and God said, basically, you are not my people. So he basically has temporarily, and I underline and emphasize the word temporarily, turned his back on Israel and has turned his face toward the church. And when the church is raptured out, God will turn his face back to Israel, take them through the seven years of tribulation to purify them, and then he will redeem them. And that's what's talking about here. So right now they're in a position, Israel is in a position, you are not my people, verse 10, and then it will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. And the sons of Judah, looking at verse 11 of Hosea 1, and the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together. And that tells you that that's a yet future event because Judah and Israel are the names of the southern and the northern tribe, the southern and northern kingdoms. Those two kingdoms were were created in 932 B.C. at the death of King Solomon because it was prophesied because of the sins of Solomon that God would, would divide the Israelites into two groups. Those two groups, Judah and Israel, have not been back together again to this day. Yet we know that God will bring them all back together. It's prophesied all over the Old Testament that they will be brought back together again. And here in Hosea chapter 1, verse 11, it's emphasized again. The sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together, and they will appoint for themselves one leader. And we talked last time about how that's King David. And people go, well, that's crazy. Their leader is going to be Jesus Well, if you look at verse 11, it tells you, and they, not God, they, the Israelites, will appoint for themselves one leader. So let's go one other place here very quickly to finish up our point about who the sons of God are. And we're looking here at Israel at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. After God has judged the world, Jesus on the earth has judged the the world for its um, unrighteousness and has judged Israel and has found a portion of the Israelites righteous, and those righteous Israelites, the elect, according uh, using the word from Matthew 24, the elect of Israel will be coming into the millennial kingdom as one set of 12 tribes. And let's go to Hosea chapter 3. So let's flip over a page here in our Bible to the right. Go to Hosea chapter 3, and let's look at a prophecy that is currently underway, and then a prophecy that's yet to take place. 
And we find those two in in Hosea chapter 3, verse 4, and then verse 5. So what's happening to Israel right now? Verse 4, Hosea chapter 3, verse 4. For the sons of Israel will remain for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod or household items. That's where our household idols. That's where they are today. They have no king. They have no prince. They do not have a temple to sacrifice in. And the ephod, of course, refers to the high priest. They don't have any of that. That's where they are now. But let's uh, look forward into the prophetic future at verse 5. Then it says, Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. So this is referring to the very end of the tribulation. The very end of the tribulation, according to Zechariah, tells us that one-third of the Israelites that are living on the earth will be um, will accept Christ. The other two-thirds will die in their unbelief, in their unrighteousness, but one-third will come to faith in Christ, and they will come trembling, it says, also in Zechariah, because they will recognize at that point that they had killed the Messiah 2,000 years before. They could have avoided two millennia, 2,000 years of pain and just abject horror. They could have avoided all that if they had accepted Jesus the first time, but they will accept him the second time when they return and seek the Lord their God. And Ezekiel talks a great deal about how God will bring back David to be their king. So you will have Israel in the millennial kingdom with the 12 apostles. We, we get that from Matthew chapter 19. The 12 apostles at the time of Christ will, um, realizing that Judah has been replaced, Judah, Judas has been replaced as the 12th apostle. The 12 apostles will sit on the 12 tribes, judging the 12 tribes during the millennial kingdom. So they're back in their glorified bodies. David will be king over them, so they he's been brought back in his glorified body to rule over Israel, and then Jesus will be sitting above them all in the risen temple because it'll be raised above all the hills of Israel uh, at that time. He will be sitting in the temple as the king of kings and the lord of lords. What a wonderful time. So that is, uh, if you will, we're going to conclude that little portion here of uh, point number one to clarify who the other sons of God are, that there are entities, groups of people referred to as the sons of God, but they are not Jesus Christ. So we want to now start uh, drilling down on who is the son of God and why is he called the son of God, and then why do we under, why do we need to know, why is it imperative to know the difference um, in Jesus between being referred to as the Son of God and being referred to as the Son of Man. If we can grasp that one difference, Son of God versus Son of Man, it will explain and help you understand so much of the prophetic uh, writings, the prophetic future 
that we have yet to uh, to look forward to because um, the Son of God and the Son of Man, while being the same person, it uh, clearly distinguishes their two his two different roles in the future. And so we're focusing now on the Son of God. So what I'd like to do now is to show that Israel is the genealogical conduit, if you will, for the coming of the Son of God. Because you, you have to ask yourself, why did Jesus come in the first place? Why didn't God just do this all himself? Why Jesus? So we want to explain why Jesus had to come. So let's turn to uh, Deuteronomy to get started here and just establish the fact that Israel is the center of the earth in God's eyes. He is the center. They are the central people of all of God's creation, and the world does not want us to know that today. They want to play down Israel as much as they possibly can in terms of importance. They want to diminish, if not do away, with Israel. Uh, A lot of the world uh, is in the grip of Satan, is is dwelling in darkness, and Satan wants Israel destroyed. Remember, if he can destroy Israel, Jesus will not come back. And if Jesus does not come back at his second coming, Satan continues to be the prince and the power of the earth. He will remain the king of the earth because there's no Israelites to come back to. And that's the requirement that Jesus gave Israel when he left was, I will not come back until you, Israel, profess me with your mouth. So that's what we're looking forward to at the end of the tribulation period. Uh, I say we, the church is going to be out of the picture, but we will be involved because we'll be coming back with Christ as his wife in our glorified bodies to help Jesus rule and reign over the earth during that millennial kingdom. So let's go to Deuteronomy, the fifth book in uh, of the Old Testament. So you start with Genesis, come in five books, the last of the five books of what the Jews call the Torah, the law. And it's Deuteronomy, and we want to go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, and we want to look at uh, verse 9, Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. And this is describing, uh, it's describing God, but in a way we can also say that it's describing Jesus, who is God, he's the Son of God, but I'm going to show you, hopefully, um, at least set the foundation in place for understanding here in Deuteronomy, all the way back, you know, 1,400 years before Christ, that we are establishing the difference between the Son of God and the Son of Man. And in verse 9, we read about what we will call the Son of God, because it's talking about God. Verse 9, know therefore, and he's talking to Israel, uh, which is the central focus, but it also is applying to everybody. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. So it says he keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation. Well, that's basically saying eternity. I mean, just throw a number out. A generation is 30 years. That's 30,000 years. Well, we've only, the earth's only been around for 6,000 years. So it gives you an idea uh, of his eternal nature, of his covenant keeping and his loving kindness to those who love him 
So if you, you can look at Jesus as a representative here as the Son of God. He is God. Now look at verse 10. Talking about the same God, but repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. So this is the justice side of God. This is the son of man aspect of Jesus because people who hate God hate Jesus and therefore they do not see him as the son of God. They see him as the son of a man. So hopefully the contrast, the clear contrast between 9 and 10 of Deuteronomy chapter 7 shows you the one nature of God is a loving God, a covenant-keeping God to those who love him, but he is a vengeful, repaying God who will destroy those who do not recognize him, do not recognize his son as being the son of God. He will repay them to their face. So hopefully we've established a, a foundation here And then we're going to get more specific about it as we get into Exodus 20 in our next program to further develop this understanding of the difference between the Son of God and the Son of Man as we focus on the Son of God aspect. And again, we'll do that on our next program, but we want to continue on in our answer portion, question and answer portion of our daily program. And we have been dealing with a question from a listener in Abington uh, that is asking is uh, where is it that Israel is taken to hide when they are hiding from Satan in uh, and it's referred to in Revelation 12 verse 14 is the one the listener gave us and if you go to Revelation 12:14 very quickly by way of review that's about the second half of the seven year tribulation and this is the point in time where Satan is thrown out of heaven we learn that in Revelation. 12 and 13, he's thrown out of heaven, and he indwells the the Antichrist. It says that he gives the Antichrist his power and his authority and his throne. So he indwells the Antichrist and makes him super, super powerful. Not as powerful as God because he's a created being, but nevertheless, he's super powerful. And in the first half, before he's indwelt, we learned in Revelation 6-8 and Revelation 9-15 that uh, in sum total, a half of the world's living population during the first half of tribulation is killed. And we were asking, why didn't God protect Israel during the first half as he does, uh, according to Revelation 12, in the second half? And we learned the answer to that when we went to Daniel 9, verse 27, where we find out that the Antichrist in the first half, in fact, it's the first event of the tribulation, the Antichrist enters into a peace treaty with Israel. And the Israelites recognize the Antichrist as their Messiah, falsely so, but nevertheless. They recognize him that way, and the Antichrist protects Israel in the first half. And then we also learn in Daniel 9, verse 27, that the peace treaty is broken by the Antichrist and he begins to persecute Israel and he is much more powerful now because he is now, as we said, indwelt with all the power of Satan. 
And his purpose now is to destroy Israel completely because we know that if he can kill all the Israelites in the world, there will be no one to recognize the Messiah when he comes back. So he, he says, I won't come back. And that's the goal of Satan is to get rid of Israel more than anyone else. He wants to get rid of Israel so the Messiah will not come back. And then to get into a little more detail of answering the question here, a lot of theologians today, and again, the Bible doesn't tell us specifically, so we can't say matter-of-factly, but a lot of theologians putting together a lot of the different prophecies have come to the understanding now that the Israelites will be miraculously taken on the wings of eagles, which is what it says in Revelation chapter 12. And of course, we know that, yes, it's not the American Air Force because the American Air Force wasn't around when the Israelites came out of Egypt, and we're told that God brought the Israelites out of Egypt on the wings of eagles. So we know that it's not America helping the Israelites hide here. But we believe that they are moved miraculously down to the Jordanian, which is the country just to the east of Israel, the Jordanian city of Petra. And that lies to the east, as I said, and then south of Jerusalem in the mountains of what we call biblical Edom. And that, of course, was named after Esau. So you have the Ammonites on the, on the east, the Ammonites, and then south of them are the Moabites, and just south of them are the Edomites. So down in that part of Jordan is where uh, uh, Petra is. And uh, my wife and I have been there a couple of times. It's a magnificent place, carved out of the rocks, literally, and had the um, joy of taking my family there in 2013. So it's an it's a unbelievable place to see, and you can understand how people could be hidden there. But it's uh, an interesting thing to learn that because of the widespread, uh, again, speculation by so many theologians that that's where the... Um, righteous Israelites are going to miraculously be taken and hidden for three and a half years, the second half of tribulation by God, that the Jordanians have been building like crazy in Petra, in and around Petra. They've been putting in hotels and restaurants and shops and all of the infrastructure needed to support all of that because Christian pilgrims have been coming from all over the world, and they need a place to stay and to eat and to shop and so forth. So literally, um, Muslims and Arabs have been preparing <laughs> Petra for the Israelites to go to during this second half of the tribulation. And what I'd like to do is uh, let's go to Psalms in the Bible. We were in uh, Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, so let's move over to the right uh, a number of books get through Samuel, 1st, uh, 2nd Samuel, 1st and Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, and then get us over into uh, Job and then Psalms, and go to Psalm 18, Psalm 18, and look at verses 1 through 3. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. So you see a reference, very clear reference here, to the rock and the fortress and the place of refuge. 
And that's where we want to continue on in our next program as we look at the Bible describing Petra to us. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, The Basics from Consider the Ant, simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.